Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball. So expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today for the first episode of 2022 is five teams that have exceeded expectations this season. So Jalen and I, before the episode started, came up with five teams together. We have the Chicago Bulls. Minnesota Timberwolves, Golden State Warriors, Memphis Grizzlies, and Cleveland Cavaliers. And it's fitting that we talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers because our guest is a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. Bringing him back on the pod for the second time, please welcome University of Dayton alum, Peter Burnett. Thanks, Ryan and Jalen. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's great to be back. It's been a minute. Cavs have had some some ups and downs. I'm excited to get into that a little bit. Uh, and again, I'm just glad to be back on the podcast and happy new year to, to both of you and everybody listening. Appreciate that, boss. Happy new year to you as well. So what have you been up to recently? Yeah, well, you know, just to, just casually got my college degree. So, you know, that was that was cool. Back in back in December, graduated uh, uh, cum laude from from the University of Dayton with a degree in, in journalism. So I'm hoping to hoping to use that, have some potential jobs that I'm that I'm interviewing with or have offers for whatever so I'm you know actively looking for a a sports reporter role Um, and then I also just recently started up this venture called True North Media with my friend Joe Joseph Staten he's uh, a friend from from back in high school we played baseball together Um, and basically what this what this media is is it's um, kind of a, a media network that's based at, at its root around faith inspired media but it range the, the type of media coverage ranges from um, podcasts which is all that we've done so far but we're also hoping to kind of delve into interviews sports coverage and much more so uh, stay tuned to true, true north media we have a couple uh, videos on youtube up already um, one we talk about college football playoff and the jake paul fight and then the second one is about dealing with dealing with doubt um as a Christian, the third one we're going to be, which is going to be going out uh, January 5th. So whenever, whenever you're listening to this, it's going to be a kind of a review. He's a, he's a Michigan fan. So we're going to be talking about the playoff. Um, and then I'm a Buckeye fan. So talking about the Rose bowl and kind of some other new year six uh, bowl games, but yeah, it's, it's something that I've wanted to do for a while. It's kind of start my own podcast. I've been the guest on, on this before, and I've been on uh, the impact with, with Ian Evans. So um, just kind of, I've, I've always wanted to start my own thing. And so I'm glad to be able to be doing that now with a, with a really good friend of mine. We'll make sure to include those links in the description when the episode drops tomorrow, uh, January 6th. So Jalen, let's start with the first team here in your Chicago Bulls, because I know you have the fandom going for you right now. And there's a lot of discussion around DeMar DeRozan possibly being an MVP candidate. So let's get started with the Chicago Bulls. Yeah. So guys, because I know I'm the fan on the pod and Ryan, you, you deal with me on a weekly basis. So you know that this can get kind of toxic very quickly. So I'm actually going to turn it over to you guys first and get you guys thoughts on, I have three questions and we're going to kind of go through each of them one by one. Ryan, I actually start with you kind of just to get us rolling a little bit. And I want to talk about something that I saw on Twitter the other day um, in response to the uh, player of the month that dropped recently. So the Eastern Conference player of the month that was announced was Joel Embiid alongside Donovan Mitchell in the Western Conference. 
And what I saw on Twitter, the only reason why I was aware of this was because I was looking into the the rookie players of, of the week. Uh, most recently, it was or rookie players of the month. It was uh, Franz Wagner and Josh Giddy. And I came across Zach Levine's tweet, which was pretty much just a very salty face attached to the dropping of the players of the month in the NBA. So, Ryan, I'll start with you. First of all, do you feel like the Bulls are slighted in the national media because of the fact that they've played above expectations and some people are still trying to decipher whether or not this is real or not? Because to me, it's kind of hard to argue with DeMar DeRozan being the player of the month. And I, I look, again, fandom aside, the Bulls were 8-0 and in December, right? DeMar DeRozan made history to basically end the year and start the new month off. And then you put on top of that the fact that the play of the two guys being DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, they're both top 10 in scoring, the only duo in the top 10 to do it so far this season. It just seems like everything is breaking right for the Bulls in a way that's so unnatural that I think people, maybe not even just in the mainstream media, but like fans in general are still feeling the Bulls out despite their record. So like, how do you feel about them in terms of like people's outlook on them? Yeah, I can see where they're coming from for sure, because the Bulls essentially just came out of nowhere. But if you go back to last season, this was just a gradual buildup of what this team has become. Remember, Zach Levine was already playing at an all-star level last year, and he ended up becoming an all-star. They ended up getting Nikola Vucevic in a big deal as well to give him a nice co-star um, in the offense. So it was a gradual buildup. And then, of course, when you get uh, Billy Donovan, who made a name for himself in Oklahoma City as a great coach, that just adds on to that buildup like that I was mentioning earlier. You go to the offseason, you get some big names in free agency, DeMar DeRozan being one of them, Alex Caruso, a great defender, also can shoot a couple threes here and there. Um, you also add Lonzo Ball, who I think could be a great all-around player for the Bulls, and he's really been showing that so far. He's averaging uh, really high numbers in assists and rebounds, almost like a like he's averaging kind of a triple-double in a sense. Um which I think he has the capability of doing this year. But when you look at the team itself, it's basically been like who can stand out for this team the most, because there's so much, there's so much on this team that you don't know who is going to be the best player on this team. Because if you look at DeMar DeRozan's numbers, especially in the month of December, 29.3 points per game, 4.3 rebounds, 5.6 assists. He's shooting 51.5% from the field. And get this, 62.5% from three. He hasn't shot over 45% from three in his entire career, let alone shooting 62.5% from three in just one month of play. So just to show you how dominant he's been for the Bulls so far, that's that's basically it. Like he should He should have been player of the month. But when you look at this team, I can see the skepticism. But you've we've seen enough of a sample size where we shouldn't be skept- we shouldn't be skeptical about this team anymore. This team's for real. So, Peter, we like you mentioned at the top of the pod, we haven't talked in a minute about you know basketball with both of us being busy in different ways, and, and so we haven't been able to kind of get your thoughts as much as maybe I'm not sure how much you've heard my 
probably over-exaggerated thoughts about this team. So not only what were your thoughts coming into the season when it comes to, like, the Bulls, right? You see all the signings. You're like, okay, they picked up Alex Caruso. Okay, cool. They, they traded for Lonzo. Pick up DeMar. Like, what, what were your thoughts coming into the season when you've seen them? And, like, what are your thoughts on them now? Because in terms of gauging how the, the media and how other fans feel about them, I feel like the best way for me to understand is to get it from the perspective of people who are fans of teams that are also slighted, which, of course, we have Cleveland in this list as well. So I feel like it's kind of a fair comparison. Yeah, yeah, definitely. First of all, Bates is just the media – uh, coverage thing I think it's it's a lot easier to cover controversy in the media and I feel like that's kind of been like like Kyrie Irving has been the main topic of conversation and there are a few other things like you know obviously LeBron's always at the at the front of the the media headlines Russell Westbrook all that sort of thing um, but I, I think sometimes that's part of why media coverage doesn't happen as much for teams that are kind of surprising um, but but to answer your your question uh, also Going into the season, I think my question was, how are they going to mesh? Not quite in the same way of, like, how's Russell Westbrook going to mesh in because he's very different to the players that the Bulls brought in. Um, but just, like, you know, obviously DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, uh, and Zach Levine are all good players, but I don't think anybody outside of maybe Chicago Bulls fans and maybe even some some Chicago Bulls fans expected this. I mean, they're number one in the East right now. Um, like we already talked about, they've especially been, they were extremely hot in the month of December. Um, you know, they, they also had some of the, the, the COVID issues and they were able to kind of get through that and keep winning, which is something that we'll get into a little bit later when we talk about the Cavs, but something the Cavs have really struggled with. Um, I think, I think also uh, Zach Levine, maybe, I guess is an all-star last year, he gets the credit, but maybe not as much as he deserves. I mean, he's, he's averaging 26 points per game. He's got a player efficiency rating of almost 22 um, and he's he's been really a star star for them. And he's you know DeRozan gets a lot of the credit because he's the one who's kind of to to the average basketball fan. He's the bigger name. Some people some people might still see Zach Levine as just kind of the guy who's who's good at dunking. Um, but he's obviously he's proven that he's a lot more than that at this point. Um, so you know the casual basketball fan might still see him as that. But I think for us you know who really like to dive into basketball, he's shown that he's a, a star. And then. You know, they have really good balance too. You know, you got the guard play and kind of, I guess, I guess Levine's more of a small forward or a forward, but a little bit of plays like a guard too. Um, and then, I mean, DeRozan's listed as a small forward, but he, you know, he, he plays like a, a shooting guard at times also. Um, and then you got the height in Vucevic. I think they're a really balanced team and you got Lonzo Ball as a really good facilitator. Um, and I think, so all those pieces combined, they've, they've really meshed together. Um, and Caruso might be seen as kind of a, a, a as a meme, but he he's a legit basketball player too. So he leads the Bulls in steals right now, um, and so I think they've definitely exceeded expectations. And I think they just have the right the right mixture. I think you know credit to to Mark Eversley, the the GM of the Bulls, for bringing those pieces in. Um, and then you guys mentioned him briefly also, but Billy Donovan has been able to come in there and you know coach these guys into into this unit that really is a, is a machine at winning right now. Yeah. So Ryan, I'm going to kind of come back with, uh, come back to you with this because again, you have to hear my mouth about the bulls all the time. So I'm trying to like stay as far away from me getting into it as much as possible. But one of the biggest things that I've, I have harped on since before the year started, check the tape. I, me and Brooks were yelling to the heavens about this one, about the, the personnel of this team 
looking like they would actually be pretty legitimate defensively. And a lot of people thought that just based on the way they were built that, oh, DeMar can't defend. Zach Levine's not much of a defender. Lonzo's not a great, like, point-of-attack guy. Alice Caruso's only one dude. Vooch is horrible in drop coverage. Like, there's all these things that, like, if you listen to, like, analytic, analytic guys, it just didn't seem like it would add up. Uh, 12th in opponent's points per game. 11th in overall defensive rating. Alex Caruso leads the league in steals. Zach Levine's coming off of playing uh, in the Olympics and clearly gives a damn on defense, which is shown. Lonzo Ball is a lot better at the point of attack than people thought. Um, I just think everybody's playing at a really high level. Like, if they, I, I think the defense is the thing I harp on the most, but if I had to turn it over to somebody else, what do you think the most underrated thing about this team actually is is it the fact that i remember we had the conversation off camera about um people were saying demar Derozan for mip and nikola vucevic's response in twitter was like you meant mvp and it's like you know that that shows that contrast between last year and this year for demar and like are people just sleeping on how good demar actually is as a player are people sleeping on the defense are people sleeping on zach like who do you feel like I guess the best way to phrase it, like, who do you think is the most slept on? What do you think is the most slept on about this? Well, can we talk about the fact that they're on an 11-game winning streak right now and they went undefeated in the month of December? That's been been pretty impressive so far. And I know as a Bulls fan, Jalen, you want to keep your fandom out of this. That's something that, as a fan, you have to be happy uh, happy with right now. But I'm not 100% sure if there's a person that is underrated on this team but I think there is an idea that's underrated on this team. I think DeMar DeRozan should be in the MVP conversation. And I think this is a legit idea that people have to consider because if you look at the month of December itself, I mentioned the stats earlier, but it's just the ability for him to get better. And he basically takes over the mid range in a lot of these games. We know DeMar DeRozan throughout his career is a solid mid range shooter. That's basically what he's been able to take over. I think his impact on this team, his impact on winning is what puts him in this conversation, especially with the last game of 2021 against the Indiana Pacers, where he hit the game winner, a one-legged three, a three-point shot. And then he hit a corner three when he was double teamed to win the game against the Washington Wizards. So it's his impact on winning that puts him in the conversation for me. Yeah, I mean, and I said it in the IG live that I did at the end of that game. If you guys check out um, my personal Instagram or even just go back and look at the game in general, you can say it for yourself. You can see for yourself. A guy who can come in clutch for you in the final moments of a game like that has to be viewed as valuable because of the ability, the, the, the value that closing has for a championship or just playoff contending team, right? There's one thing that people still have to figure out with this team is how legitimate they will be in the playoffs. That's the one thing that's rattling everybody's brain is, is all this up and down stuff, this fast pace of play, these hyper athletes, this, that, and third, is that going to work in a playoff scenario? When you have a guy where when the game slows down in the fourth quarter, and for DeMar DeRozan it does, like, it, check the stats. He's like 60-something percent of his shots are two-pointers in the half court in the fourth quarter, and the dude is like top 10 in clutch points. 
like he's you know up there in terms of like top five in terms of fourth quarter scoring all of the metrics are there that says when the game slows down that's the guy that we know we can rely on the most that's not even talking about the fact that I think Zach Levine hit like six threes in that game against the Wizards too so like when when need be we have two guys who can legitimately lean on the fact that we have that de facto guy I think is scaring people off because they're not used to it and Peter again I'm gonna bring this back to you because Again, when I try to relate my team to um, other teams in this scenario, I think a lot of people thought Evan Mobley was going to be good. I don't think they thought Evan Mobley was going to be this good, right? And I think the same thing goes with DeMar. DeMar DeRozan is arguably having, like, the best season of his career, um, despite the fact that, you know, my dude is definitely up there in age. We're in age, we're, we're in the age 32 season and he's having arguably the best season of his career. When, and Peter, I'm going to swing it to you like this. When you talk about a team that has a MVP, rookie of the year caliber player, what personally do you look for? What, what do you look for in a player that qualifies for things of that nature? Again, like rookie of the year works in this case because, you know, Evan Mobley is related. I think the first thing you got to look at is is the wins above every other statistic above above anything else is the wins or where they sit in in their conference and for the Bulls that's uh, what 25 wins I think right now and they're leading the Eastern Conference so I mean he's and, then, and you know there's a phrase that goes like the best player on the best team is who the MVP should be you could argue that Steph Curry I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit when we talk about the Warriors but um you know, sometimes sometimes it's for me, it's also nice to see kind of a player that isn't in that conversation as often. And I don't know if DeMar DeRozan really ever has been seriously before this season. And even still, obviously, some people don't think he should be. I think he should be also. Um, so, yeah, being being the best player on the best team and um, and the wins are the two that I look for the most. There's got to be some star factor to the player, obviously, so they're going to get more attention and stuff. I understand how how the voters work, but um, I think it really it really should go to the best player on the best team who's leading his team to wins and is is really making a difference. And um, like you, you know, we can't really say what the team would look like without him on the court. But when you talk about most valuable, to me, that means when that player is not on the court, the team is not the same. And again, I don't know how the Bulls would look with without DeMar DeRozan, but I imagine they wouldn't look quite as good as they, they have this season. So um, I think him and Curry are probably one and two. I'm not quite sure which which I would put at number one or number two for the MVP right now. But I mean, they're they're the two best players on the best teams. And that's I feel like for me, if if I was an MVP voter, those are the two that I would have at the top. I love to hear that, bro. I love to hear that. <laughs> Ryan, that's a perfect way to be able to transition into Golden State, bro, just out of the fact that Golden State – so it's weird. Ryan, I think we talked about this a few times. Pete, I'm actually going to stick with you on this one because me and Ryan's thoughts are kind of pretty well known at this point with Golden State, but that's where your perspective comes in. With Golden State, I don't think they surprised anybody in the sense that they were gonna be good this year I don't think that was the trick I think the trick is who's been good right Jordan Poole has he was seen as a potential breakout player this year coming in there was a lot of GMs and executives who were voted that he would be like top three in terms of 
a potential to break out this season. But, like, to be getting legitimate rotational minutes from Gary Payton II, who people, I would even make the personal argument that if he played more than 16 to 18 minutes a game, could legitimately make one of the two all-defensive teams. Like, I think he's, like, legitimately one of the best defensive guards in the league and just quite literally doesn't play enough minutes to qualify. Andre Iguodala broke back and all is coming up clutch in final moments of games. Otto Porter, who as a Bulls fan, it hurts to see him succeed in a different place, but he is doing his thing, especially as a, as a secondary guy um, for Golden State. I think it's like the guys who have stood out that's really made them so surprising. But from your perspective, what what has stood out to you about Golden State this season? Um, and speak on Curry a little bit, because I definitely want to get your thoughts on Steph Curry. There's been a lot of history made since the last time we had you on the pod when it comes uh, when it comes to him. Yeah, I mean, he's just – I'll start with Curry, and then I'll get into some of the other players who have really stepped up for this team. I mean, he's undisputed the, the best three-point shooter of all time. There's no question. I don't need to go into into talking about that. I could just say that that one sentence and – there's no argument that needs to be made for that. Um, it's been it's been cool to see that history. You know, you you remember the moments when you see history happen, um, and that'll be that'll be a night that I probably. I mean, I'm not even a Warriors fan. As a Cavs fan, I'm not. They're not exactly my favorite team, but it was it was pretty amazing to see him get that history, especially with Ray Allen and uh, and Reggie Miller in the building. That was that was pretty amazing too. Um, but yeah, getting into some of the guys who have stepped up, obviously. The big name, aside from Curry on this team that's been playing, is is Draymond Green. He's had a phenomenal season so far. He leads the team in rebounds, assists, and blocks, which is pretty pretty impressive for one player to lead all those areas. Um, and I think I think he still probably doesn't get as much attention as maybe he deserves. I mean, he's he might not score as much as like Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole are this year, but he's I mean he's a difference maker on this team, and he's. He's a player who could, if Curry was out, he could help his team continue to keep winning. Probably not at the same level, but you know, he's he's a very, very important piece on this team, and he has been for their their run of success. But another name that I just mentioned there uh, was was Andrew Wiggins. I think he's played at a really high level. I think you know, ever since he got drafted, this is, I mean, probably the ceiling maybe is a little bit higher just in terms of him being like a full superstar based on where he was drafted. But I think how he's playing is what we expected out of him when he was drafted, what, number one overall. Um, so he's, you know, averaging 19 points per game. He's getting he's getting some decent rebounds, 4.5, and he's, you know, a pretty high player efficiency rating. Um, so he's been a big piece, obviously, in that starting lineup, you know, when they – when they're not having Clay Thompson right now, he's stepping up in not the same role of hitting threes or playing the same way that Clay Thompson does, but just kind of being a second guy who can be there. You know, he's second on the team in scoring. And so I think he's kind of somebody who maybe gets overlooked because he's obviously he's a well-known name, but he hasn't really played at this level for, for his in his in his NBA career yet. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's a player. And then kind of the fir- probably the first guy off the bench either or maybe second or third after uh, Porter and Peyton is, is Damian Lee. He's the, he's tied with Porter with 8.2 points per game. So he's like basically the leading scorer off the bench tied with tied with Porter. Um, He's been playing really well. He's played a lot of, played a lot of minutes. His player efficiency rating isn't the highest ever, but I think it's kind of a name that kind of 
goes under the radar sometimes. He'll probably his playing time will probably go down a little bit once once Thompson comes back because he is a, a shooting guard. But I think those those three guys, Green, Wiggins, and Lee are kind of three guys who maybe don't get quite as much credit, you know, with, with Curry taking all the spotlight. And I mean, if you go through with those guys, right? Like Draymond Green, Ryan, we did our we did our uh, NBA awards poll thing with a few takes on our like one of our last episodes of 2021, and we end up by by the voting by the end of the voting, he was our defensive player of the year so far this season. That just goes to show you his impact. Uh, Andrew Wiggins was a guy who, when he was traded for D'Angelo Russell, I mean, there was a lot of different thoughts thrown out there in terms of that exchange but the biggest thing was just wondering whether or not he would embrace the golden state culture right the idea that you have to like you have to lock up a defense well he's most of the time he's actually the guy taking on the best perimeter player defensively for this team um which has been huge and then damian lee he's a solid dude that gets solid rotational minutes and it's hilarious that you bring him up because there's a lot of people within regular casual space that view Damian Lee's only purpose of being on this team being that he has some kind of I'll say off the court relationship with the with the Curry family I'll just put it that way in terms of family ties so that's his main association with this team in the eyes of most but Damian Lee as Lee actually gives them solid rotational minutes which is huge especially with the fact that Clay has been out which actually kind of takes me to my next point Ryan, Clay's coming back. It's 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 pretty much a done deal. I mean, he gave us the six day countdown a, a day or two ago, and I mean, at this point, time is ticking. My question to you is: first off, what do you think the role of Clay Thompson will be in his return? The idea of like things like: do you think he'll come back on re- reduced minutes? Is he going to come off the bench the first couple of games? Like that kind of idea. What do you think is most ideal? And then number two, what, it almost comes off as a little bit of a dumb question, but it's a question that has to be answered. What do you think the impact of even an 80% Clay Thompson could be or will be on this iteration of the Golden State Warriors? Because we haven't seen him in two years. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with your first point about him coming back in the capacity that he comes back because I think he does start games for this team, but I think with the current state of this lineup, it's going to be very hard to shuffle him back into the lineup with how good this team has been. And that does kind of mean you have to move Jordan Poole to the bench, which in all likelihood is a great move because he's already been coming off the bench for most of his career. But like, 18.1 points per game as the third leading scorer on this team as a starter is impressive enough, but I think he'll have to like cut minutes with Clay Thompson, because I think that role will be shared between them unless uh, Steve Kerr decides to keep Jordan Poole in the lineup and put Clay Thompson at the three. But then what does that mean for Andrew Wiggins? So if you put Clay Thompson at the two, Andrew Wiggins still stays at the three, which by the way, Andrew Wiggins being the second leading scorer on this team may be the biggest surprise of all, considering that he's shooting 49% from the field, 43 and a half percent from three. The knock on him throughout his entire career was his inconsistency, especially shooting, right? 
So to see him shoot close to 50% from the field and shoot pretty well from three on a team that prides itself on shooting the ball extremely well from three and extremely well from the field. It doesn't come as much of a surprise, but for Andrew Wiggins, I I love seeing the consistency from him because I I think that that's the something that we really haven't seen from him in his entire career. But I think when you mentioned the, the state of Clay Thompson, even if he comes back at 80%, where would this team be? They're still going to be the same team. Like we, we can't really change the fact that this team is the best team in the Western Conference right now, best team in the NBA, best record in the NBA, best defense in the NBA. This team's not going to change. They're only going to get better. Like, of course they're going of, of course they're going to lose games, but they have Clay Thompson. Like this team's been pretty much healthy the entire season. Steve Kerr's been managing the minutes of a lot of players on this team very well. Like, especially with Otter with uh, Otto Porter's injury history and and the fact that Andre Iguodala is getting up there in age. Like he's been managing those minutes pretty well. So I won't I, I'm not as concerned about whether or not Clay Thompson coming back affects this team at all. Because if anything, this team just gets better. So I want to just ask you, I want to stick with you and ask you one question before I take it to Peter. And I think your answer will kind of help shape the next question I have. So you brought up rhythm, which is important when you talk about the circumstances of this. And based off your point, it sounded like based on where the rhythm of the team is right now, that you would be comfortable with continuing to start Jordan Poole and bring Clay Thompson off the bench. Do you believe that that's the, 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 is that the philosophy that you feel as though they should go with, or do you feel as though that's just the only, that's the philosophy they, they, they should start with? I think for Clay's sake, if he's not a hundred percent, bring him off the bench. But, but if, if he, is, but if he is, then I would have him start. Okay. But I would, I would only have him start just to get that integration back in the lineup, right? But I think the big thing when you think about it is the play of Jordan Poole. He's going to have. I think Jordan Poole has the ability to do what he's doing now in the starting lineup and continue to do it on the bench. But I think it's just going to be a matter of if Golden State decides to actually continue with Jordan Poole in the starting lineup and bring Clay off the bench. So I think it's really just what Golden State does going forward. So, Peter, I think there's two ways to go about this, right? Obviously, the first one is that you keep Jordan in the starting lineup. Now, all of a sudden, Clay's a three. This team gets a lot smaller with Draymond at center, which is actually not the most bizarre lineup in the world because your your other option is to have Kevon Looney start and although that's not terrible that's also not great um but there also is the other option of putting Jordan Poole on the bench bringing Clay Thompson in to start because I just don't see a universe where Clay Thompson would come off the bench for this team long term I just don't see it but with that being the Clay with that being the case um Jordan Poole would come off the bench in kind of like a pseudo Tyler Hero role the way he's playing this season in terms of being like a microwave scorer, other people who are compared to this are typically like the Lou Williams of the world, Jamal Crawford, and so on and so forth. So for you as a fan and just, you know, and knowing what Clay Thompson's impact is up close and personal, unfortunately, like 
what do you think might be the, the best call for them? Do you think the idea is to put him back in the starting lineup, have him hit the ground running and move Jordan Poole to the bench? Or do you think that the kid has played way too well to relegate him to bench minutes? Let's just go small and have snipers galore in the start in the starting line. Yeah. Well, the first thing I say uh, is Kevin Looney has actually, I mean, he's started, he's the only one on this team that started 36 or 36 games. And I mean, look at their record in those games. Obviously he's not the biggest difference maker on this team, but he's, he's been working too. It's, it's not just, it's not just Curry and the guys that we've talked about in this episode. So I think that makes, that makes Kerr's job a little bit tougher too, because he could go, to a lineup with with Draymond at the three or at, at the five. Um, and I think I, I, if, if I were Kerr, what I would do, and again, it depends on, on Clay Thompson's health, and I'm, I'm no NBA coach, especially not one at the level that Steve Kerr is. Um, but I would, I would maybe for the first few games have, uh, have Clay come off the bench, and as you ease him into more and more minutes and then into a starting role, I would kind of slightly lessen the minutes for, for Jordan Poole. And then I think maybe what you do is go with kind of a, a rotation of him and Andrew Wiggins um, where you can kind of move both of them around. Cause they, I mean, they play similar positions, shooting guard and small forward are, you know, kind of the, the middle of the floor and everything, um, but you know, out on the wings or whatever, whatever uh, offensive sets they're running. It depends on obviously, but um, something like, obviously you have Curry at the one and then you have uh Clay at shooting guard, but you also give pool minutes at shooting guard. But then you can also give pool minutes at small forward. Um, you can give give Wiggins a breather, and then you know I think that can kind of be it's two spots, which makes it difficult. And probably most of the minutes will go to Clay once he's fully healthy. But I think you can kind of have a three three man rotation of Wiggins, Pool, and Thompson at, at you know three three guys in two positions, and then sometimes you go to the uh the small ball lineup where you have Draymond at the five and you can have all three of those guys in the game because because Wiggins is I think like six seven or something like that so he can play um you know in the four that's probably not something maybe you want to start with or if you start with it you probably switch out of that lineup pretty quickly but I think you know that that's going to be Kerr's job is finding how that works you know I'm just throwing out ideas here of how I think it could work but That'll, that'll be the key, I think, for this team is to find how that balance works. Because, again, you talk about rhythm. You bring in a new guy, as good as he might be, as good as he has been over the years, and as good as he probably will be still, you know, he still still could, could potentially throw off the rhythm a little bit. But the one thing that makes it easier is he's obviously been a part of this team for a long time. Um, him, Curry, and Draymond have been playing together for years now. So that it won't be a chemistry issue thing. It's just a matter of you know, what happens to Wiggins and Poole when there's not, when they're not getting those, those big minutes. And I know you, you talked about Poole having experience coming off the bench, but sometimes, sometimes players need, need a lot of minutes to really show how good they can be. Cause sometimes it takes them, maybe it takes them longer to get into the flow of the game um, or they, they just benefit from having that extra time on the court. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, if that does detract from the performance of Poole and Wiggins when they start getting less minutes. Cause I think, I think Wiggins probably gets less minutes too. Once, once Clay comes back. So taking away from your lineup rotations, a lot of the different stuff that you threw out, the takeaway I'm getting is that second units are going to have a long, a long set of days, a long set of days in those first couple of games when Clay comes back. Because if Clay's coming off the bench, it's murder. If they figure out how to rotation where Jordan Poole is coming off the bench, is murder. If we're having staggered lineups where Andrew Wiggins and Clay Thompson are playing together, that's going to be interesting. But from a defensive standpoint, 
that's a lot of length in the backcourt. I don't know if anybody's ready for that. So I think that just goes to show you how scary this team actually can be because, Peter, I think you phrase it in a way that works really well, which is like almost Kerr has a a problem, but it's in the form of a good problem, right? It's like one of those things where it's like he has to figure out what works because like is that small ball lineup something you can stay in for a long time? Like you mentioned before, and can you start in it? I, I don't know if you can start in it. Maybe you can close with it. I mean, the Bulls do, and it's it's tricky. But we, you know, we have Alex Caruso, Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, Demar Derozan at the four, kind of in the Andrew Wiggins role you were talking about, and then we have Nikola Vucevic at the five. So it's not like they can't flirt with these things. But I think the important part about what you said too is it's January, so they have the time to figure it out too, which is huge. But um, I want to move into another team that I think honestly fits in a very different light from Golden State, like pretty much the other end of the spectrum, which is Minnesota. So this is a team that came into the year with very low expectations, despite the fact that Anthony Edwards was on a tear in the last month and a half of the season last year, showed really good strides. Obviously, a full season of Carl Anthony Towns is huge. Um, knock on wood that he, you know, nothing happens. And they've been pretty good this year. I mean, you know, 17 and 20 isn't great, but ninth in the Western Conference for a team that is definitely trying to make some kind of playoff, uh, have, get some kind of playoff success, even if that's winning a play-in game. Obviously, we need to see some kind of um, growth from them in this uh, this first season with the trio, Russell, Anthony Towns, and Edwards together. Ryan, what are your thoughts on Minnesota? Um, I know we've gotten into this briefly towards the beginning of the season. One of our bigger hot takes to start the year off was actually to watch out for this Minnesota team. So considering the circumstances, so far so good. Yeah, so far so good. I think even though they're three games below 500, this team has overachieved. If you think about where they were last season, Compared to this season, I think you've seen a lot of improvement, but you've also seen what this trio of Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards, and D'Angelo Russell has on the floor together. And I think it's a pretty good sample size, too. All of them have been able to show out. All of them have been able to do what they're what they're good at, you know. And then you also get help on the bench from Malik Beasley who's been shooting the ball very well. He he actually was a player last year that was very underrated because he had to fill a role. He had to fill basically two roles of trying to be the best scorer on this team and also play heavy minutes at point guard. Now he doesn't have to worry about that, and he could focus on just being a scorer coming off the bench. Nas Reed, I think, has a ton of upside, and he's somebody that's really gotten – a lot of minutes as well at the center position coming off the bench. And I think as a rim protector, he's actually getting a lot better at defending the paint. And that's what Minnesota just needs coming off the bench. They need a solid rim protector, somebody that can control the paint. And he's got that Patrick Beverly too. Like you look at this at him and you know, his, he is a strong defender already, but he can also hit the cup, hit a couple of threes here and there as well. So that's that, but you also have that veteran experience for when Minnesota actually makes a playoff run. And we can make this case with uh, Rondo later on with the Cavaliers because I think 
Minnesota was self-aware of what they had with their roster that they had the potential to make the playoffs. So you go out and you get another veteran leader to ensure that this team's that that this team can make a playoff push. And right now they're sitting at ninth in the uh, in the Western Conference. So I'm not completely surprised about where this team's at right now. But I think it it makes sense that they're a playing team because even though this team we we were kind of gassing them up uh, earlier on in the season. They are meeting those expectations as a potential playing team. And with how the Western Conference has unfolded right now with teams like Portland not doing so well this year, San Antonio kind of rising in the Western Conference, but you know, we we really weren't expecting much from them this year as well. Sacramento's kind of found themselves in the playing category too. So I think Minnesota, if they can just win some games with this with this team they have the ability to make a play in a, a play in tournament push for the playoffs and especially with how the talent's been playing anthony edwards has been has been having a phenomenal season so far i wouldn't expect anything less from this team than a play than a uh, play in tournament spot oh yeah and I, I think that actually gives me a good chance to like transition to peter with that because i mean you look at the standings right now they're two and a half games out of fifth which like is a little drastic. Nearly three games is a little drastic, especially with the, the Nuggets are solid and they're going to get Jamal Murray back before you know it. I saw a clip of him windmill dunking, so that means he's about to act up soon. Um, Dallas has been pretty good, even with the fact that they've had uh, Luka Doncic out um, on a number of occasions, of, of occasions already this season. The Lakers are the Lakers. Um, we're not going to get into that one too deeply, but obviously, you know, they've they've kept the ship afloat considering – all that's taking place. And then the Clippers, I mean, again, all four teams in front of them, let's say the Nuggets are the biggest threat of that group and they are where they are. But in terms of being in the playoff picture or being in the mix for the play-in, I don't see anybody behind the T-Wolves that's going to make a run for them to be, um, you know, behind 9 and 10. And I don't see a situation where it's, highly unlikely that they can't get as high as sixth. But Peter, my question to you actually comes in the form of something that Ryan ended off with. Is it playoffs or bust? Is it play in or bust? What, what are you, what do you think expectation real? What do you think realistic expectations for the T wolves should be going into this, you know, second part of the season? I think whatever whatever place you're at in the middle of the season, you're you're you know uh, your boom or bust should be to at least finish that where you are right now. Um, I wouldn't say it's it's playoffs or bust. I think maybe playing or bust, but this isn't the sort of roster that you're gonna tear apart. I don't think they still have so much room to develop, especially Anthony Edwards just being being a rookie and everything but um yeah I think I think playing maybe or bust not and again not in the sense of like you tear this whole team apart if they don't make the play in um but I think it's it's kind of that mentality of like what you've achieved so far you should expect to be able to keep doing and they've they've been able to do enough to obviously be in that mix again they've benefited from some teams that have been kind of perennial playoff teams like like I know the Spurs haven't been the last couple of years, but obviously over the last 
several decades they have been. And then the the Trailblazers, obviously, you know, they haven't gotten anything done in the playoffs, but they've been a team that consistently makes the playoffs. So to be be ahead of two teams that consistently make the playoffs is a really good thing. Um, and again, I think as a with a young superstar like Edwards, and obviously Carl Anthony Towns is still is still young. It's not like any of these guys are on the tail end of their career where they're going to like wane as the season goes on, where they're going to get get tired or you know get injury prone or something like that. Um, you know, obviously injuries can always happen to young players. You saw that with Colin Sexton this year, but um, I think this is the sort of team, especially with somebody like um, you know Ryan mentioned him, uh, Patrick Beverly. That was the name that I kind of was was focused on when I was looking over this roster, somebody who has a lot of experience, obviously, and somebody who brings in defensive intensity, which is obviously really, really key to a team's success. Obviously the teams that we've talked about so far have kind of been predicated on defense this year, the Bulls and the Warriors. And then I know the Cavs have been too. Um, and so bringing in a veteran presence like that is somebody who can, you know, help just keep, keep encouraging this team as the season goes on and somebody who's been there before and, and knows how to make the playoffs um, will be key for them. And I think, I think I would expect them to finish probably right where they are right now, maybe move up or down one. I would say they probably finish. I mean, it might seem like a rhetorical thing to say, but I think they probably finish ninth, but they have potential probably to move up one or two, one, one spot and potential to move down a spot, uh, move down a spot and they'll still be good. But I don't really see them doing too much more than, than that, if I'm honest with you. Um, but they've, they've been proving some people wrong. You know, I know you guys were saying that you kind of were, were high on him, high on them before the season started, but I, I can't say that I was, I don't think I expected them to be number nine. I probably would have expected them to be 11 or 12 at best, just based on what they've, they've been doing. But I mean, looking over their roster now and listening to what you guys have been talking about, especially because this isn't a team, I'll be honest, I haven't seen a whole lot of their, a whole lot of their games, but um, looking over their roster, hearing what you guys have been saying, I think their their expectations should be the play in, and they shouldn't be shocked by that. Yeah, I mean, I think my overall takeaway with them because this, this is the weirdest team on our list, obviously, in terms of like you talk about improvement, and then you're like, but they're ninth. And for us, I think the reason why this team ended up on our list amongst the the rest of the group as kind of the oddball is less about what their record shows and more about the improvement on the court, right? The ability for Edwards and uh, D'Angelo Russell to gel has been huge. The fact that Malik Beasley has been relegated back to the the microwave score off the bench role that actually fits more of his play style is huge. The fact that Carl Anthony Towns stepping back up into this role of being the lead guy for them, I think is a big deal. And getting big defensive effort, maybe not crazy defensive numbers, but big defensive effort from a guy like Anthony Edwards, who's still like figuring basketball out to a certain extent. To a certain degree, right? Or crazy. I mean, Jaden McDaniels is carving minutes out for himself on the floor simply by playing legitimate defense at the wing spot. Because I mean, he's not out there to score. We all, we all know that he's not out there to go get buckets. They got enough buckets to go around, but he's getting legitimate minutes because he can go out there and defend on the wing. So I think this is one of those things where, like, I remember coming into the year, there was a lot of people who said, like, when they picked, like, when the Knicks picked up Kimball Walker and they picked up Evan Fournier, re-signed Derrick Rose and stuff like that, they said the Knicks would be better as a team but worse in record. And I feel like that it, that actually applies really well to Minnesota. In conjunction, it works a little bit better in their favor because they kind of couldn't get any worse than last year to a certain extent, right? Like, not, not, not by many spots at least. 
So they got a little bit of a small improvement bump in the standings while also having a, a much better product on the court. Um, we got to talk about Memphis, man. And um, I'm, I'm, you know, we can gas John Moran to the cows come home because um, that dude is, is a difference maker. But for them to be fourth in the West and the cushion in the West is actually kind of crazy. Like the East is really close for one through like 10, one through 11, maybe even 12. But the top four teams are pretty much hook, line, and sinker. I mean, the Warriors are at the top, a half game above the Suns, but the Suns are two games ahead of the Jazz. The Jazz are three games ahead of the Grizzlies. But then the Grizzlies are five games or more ahead of everybody else. So, Ryan, the impressive thing to me has been not only that the war, I mean that the uh, the Grizzlies have been able to put themselves in a lane with the Warriors, with the Suns, with the Jazz, who have had, well, the Suns are a little bit different, but like at least the Warriors and the Jazz in terms of being a model of consistency in the regular season as a as a dangerous team. But they did do this while missing John Morant for a significant time, which goes to show you that depth that we always talk about. So, like, what are your thoughts on Memphis as a team so far this season? And what are some of the things that have stood out? So you talk about the depth, and I think that's really the common theme with all five of these teams that we're talking about because, you know, the big thing with with playoffs is depth and how far you can go in the playoffs with the amount of guys that you have on your roster because, you know, Memphis is a team, for example, they could go, they, they have, they could use eight or nine players on this team. But I also mentioned this a while ago. It's about the gradual improvement of the Memphis Grizzlies. This was a team when John Morant's rookie year, they were eighth in the Western conference entering the bubble. Unfortunately, they missed the playoffs that year. The year after, they go to the play-in tournament and they make a playoff spot. They get they defeat the Golden State Warriors and secure the eighth the uh, I think it's the eighth seed in the playoffs uh, in the playoffs that year. This year they're fourth in the standings. That's a gradual improvement. You go from missing the playoffs in Jaws' first year, you make the playoffs in Jaws' second year, make the playoffs and secure a spot early in your third year. I think that this team can can legitimately be the fourth or fifth best best team in the Western Conference right now. But you talk about how good this team was without John Moran. That's that point that I made earlier with the depth because a lot of these games were won by the depth of the guards. I mean, you look at Desmond Bain, who's been playing great basketball this year, shooting the ball very well from the field, shooting the ball well from three. Those were two things that he was known for coming out of college. DeAnthony Melton's been giving them solid minutes coming off the bench. Um, you know, Dylan Brooks, the entire season has been great for the Memphis Grizzlies. So you look at that depth itself. And then I mentioned this a while ago um, on our New Year's resolutions episode with the Memphis Grizzlies. They have a lot of depth at the forward position as well, because Jaron Jackson has been playing some great games for them. Steven Adams is not a guy that you rely on to shoot the ball from mid range or from three, but he's a guy that protects the paint, gets rebounds and uh, just scores uh, quickly as possible, as quickly as he possibly can in the paint. Um, you know, you look at Brandon Clark as well, somebody that I think can 
get a lot of minutes for this team going forward. Unfortunately, he's been battling some injuries this year, but we can't really discount the potential that he showed in the first two years of his career. You look at Kyle Anderson as well, NBA veteran on this team. So those are just a few of the guys that make up the depth of this team that's been helping them win so many games. And I think that's going to be the name of the game for the Memphis Grizzlies to make the playoffs. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with Memphis is that they are, they've been able to maintain the like grit and grind-esque mentality without slowing down to that kind of a pace, right? In terms of literal, you know, dump it down to the center, dump it down to the power forward if you're talking about Zebo and them going to work. I mean, they're top 12, uh, they're literally 12 in uh, pace, uh, pace of play. They have athletes across the floor that, can run with jaw and they have guys who have developed within this system under Taylor Jenkins, Desmond Bain being the main one, right? Showing off ball handling skills at summer league. Like, okay, you got a step back jumper now in the, in the off season there. I see you. I see you. Jaron Jackson being healthy is, is huge. Good, good minutes from Xavier Tillman clutch and clutch situations as well. Being able to go to them. The fact that uh, Steven Adams has played as well as he, as he has, which I mean, look, I, I still have mixed thoughts on the whole, you know, Jonas Valanciunas thing, but it's hard to argue against Stephen Adams' results in this situation. Um, Peter, what are your thoughts on this team when you factor in youth? Because I think that's where, out of all the teams we talk about that we're that we're talking about today, they're not only the youngest roster, but also in terms of recent success they're really the only team, you know, next to Minnesota that is kind of like smelt a little bit of something, but we still are kind of like kind of taste testing when it comes to them. So like, what are your thoughts on them when you factor in how young of a team they are and knowing that they've been able to progress from, you know, two straight seasons of, you know, there was the, there was the, there was the barely, barely made the playoffs then there's the successfully take down two teams to make the playoffs. And then there's now this where they like look like a legitimate like top five team in the West. Yeah, well, I think on, on the youth thing, it makes it even more impressive what they've done because they're they're They have the same record as the Bucks in the East. Um, so they'd be they'd be third or fourth in the Eastern Conference and they're fourth in the West. So um, I think their youth makes it even more impressive what they've been able to do this season. And I think. You talk about them being young, but they also have some some important guys with with veteran experience like Kyle Anderson and Steven Adams who have who have been been around the block in the league. Um, and so they're not they're not completely youthful. They might not have, you know, veteran star players like DeMar DeRozan for the Bulls or like Steph Curry for the Warriors. Um, but they they have they have role players who are who are uh, who definitely have a lot of experience. Um, and they have they're they're again they're very balanced. We talk about the depth, but they're also very balanced. Um, obviously, John Morant is the is the star for this team. But you know you've got Dylan Brooks at small forward, you got Bain at shooting guard, you got Jaron Jackson at power forward. So you have you know their four leading scores are all four different positions, and they're all um, you know they they play a very balanced basketball. Um, they have good defense too. Jackson with one point eight blocks per game. And this team, again, you would only expect them to get better as a young team that's continuing to grow um, and win, win basketball games. You only expect them to get better. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been impressed with this team. Obviously, I'm, 
they're not my favorite team right now after they beat the Cavs last night, but um, you know, they, they're, they're a team that I think probably continues to keep winning. And like you said, they're, they're five games ahead of fifth right now. Um, so they'd really have to fall off. I know there's still a lot of basketball to be played, but they'd have to fall off quite a bit to, to lose ground where they are right now. So they're probably, probably looking at a matchup with the, with the nuggets, you know, you're talking about earlier in terms of the teams that are best in kind of that five to nine range. Um, probably the nuggets are the team that ends up fifth. So I think, I think that could be an exciting series um, between, you know, between the nuggets and the Grizzlies um, potentially in the play in the first round of the playoffs. But yeah, I'd expect this team to to keep doing what they're doing, maybe even get, you know, into that in that three seed. It's going to be a little tough because the Jazz have always been really good this year. The Jazz have the best. They actually have they have a better difference than even the Warriors. They have nine point plus nine point nine per game. Um, and, you know, they're three games ahead right now. So, you know, Memphis would probably benefit from from moving up. I think I think fourth is probably where they stay. And I think they continue to get get better as a team and they get more experience. Cause one thing that's tough for young teams too, is kind of finishing games. Um, you know, cause you're, you're not used to being ahead and winning because as a young team, you probably have had some rough years here and there. And it's something that the Cavs have been able to do this year too, is to be able to see out a lot of the games where, you know, last year, a couple of years ago, they would have lost. And so being able to do that and being able to close out close games is the difference between, scraping scraping by and making the playoffs as an eight seed or going to the play in tournament and where they are now is and I mean you see that in all in all sorts of sports the same type sort of thing happens in football you know like the Los Angeles Chargers teams that lose a lot of games but if they're close they're able to you know once you get that winning experience then it can be huge and a huge difference maker and can kind of help you string win after win um, and I think they're on like a six game winning streak right now too so they're really starting to get even even better. So I think I think a four seed would be what I expect, and probably beating the Nuggets would be tough, but it wouldn't shock me if they if they make it, you know, an extra a round in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean Memphis's leap is huge. Like I said before, to go from missing the playoffs to taking down two of the better teams. I mean, me and Ryan even said it when we did our preview for the playing games. We for sure thought they were losing to Golden State. Like we we had penciled it in. And for them to go ahead and get that done, I thought, I mean, that was huge alone. But then to be able to continue on and put themselves in a position to make the playoffs, I think that was huge. And then for this year, for them to be able to make this big of a leap in the standings, I think that it just goes to show you that their developmental system is really solid because we have a lot of other up-and-coming teams across the league, right? The Rockets are in full, like tank tank mode. Um Oklahoma City's doing it better than anybody has ever done it when it comes to tanking right now in terms of just kind of seeing what talent they have in their room. Um, Detroit, you know, we got a lot of different teams that are kind of building across the league. But, I mean, Memphis clearly is doing it the best way where they're able to see guys step up in a big way while also, you know, learning on the job, so to speak. But um, that takes us to our last team. And I had to bring up some receipts for this team because I had to make sure that I had my, myself in a, in, a, in a positive mindset for this team in particular, because we were very negative during this podcast. If I remember when we were talking about the Cavs last time we had Peter on, there was a lot of kind of trying to figure out what this team was and a lot of confusion amongst the group on this one. But the top three takeaways, the top three things that Peter wanted us or wanted the Cavs to focus on in the offseason um, coming into this season was 
Building around Colin Sexton, keeping him was a key word, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Resigning Jared Allen, check, that ended up happening, and taking Evan Mobley and rocking with uh, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley in the front court, which two out of the three things were done, but the one that isn't checked off is actually the team's biggest questions. So, Peter, as a resident fan, we're actually going to start with you on this topic because me and Ryan have tabled this conversation but have not actually got a fan's perspective on it. So we might have been a little insincere in the past talking about the homie Colin Sexton. But now you've seen Darius Garland play as well as he's played. Ricky Rubio's down for the year, but he was giving you guys some really good minutes at the off-guard spot, and especially as a guy who could control second units as well. Um, The Cavs look like they're trying to make the playoffs by bringing in Rondo as a backup guard. We'll get your thoughts on that in a second as well. But let's zero in on the homie Colin Sexton. Do you still, from our last conversation, which was many moons ago, it feels like at this point, do you still feel as though keeping Colin Sexton, maybe not building around him as much, or maybe you do still feel that way, but do you feel like keeping Colin Sexton is still or should still be a high priority for this team? Because going into this offseason, we don't know what kind of money he's looking at, and I don't know how huge he's gonna he's gonna be on the idea of coming off the bench for this team. So, like, like, where do you stand on his situation, knowing that you haven't been able to, you're not gonna be able to see him play very much this year, obviously. Yeah, I mean that makes it tough. the The only positive you could take out of an injury like that is he's probably not gonna ask for as much money. Um, so that that's the, that's the one positive. The other thing is too, I don't. I wouldn't say that he has to necessarily come off the bench. I mean, the first 11 games of the season, him and Garland, I mean, both players have started every game they've played in this year. So obviously they started together earlier this season. Um, and I think, you know, the Cavs got off to a good start this season, obviously, and they've been able to keep it up. So I think, I mean, those two at the guard positions, you can kind of vary who takes the ball up the court, who's the, who's the, the, the point guard. I think they both can be. Um, and so I think honestly, the, the guard position is pretty set. And you have, you know, this is this is probably looking ahead into to next year even. But you have two guys like Rubio and Rondo behind both of those two guys in the guard positions. That's a pretty solid, solid unit right there. Um, but I think, I think this team is now in the stage where there might not have to be too much construction that needs to be done. There just needs to be development. And what I mean by that is I'm not sure. There's too much that needs to be brought into this team to have a lot of success. I think they've kind of reached the stage now where it's about development. And that's obviously really tough when you have a, when a guy like Sexton who still has development to do out now for a season at least, and probably even longer than that. But this team's got youth. I think they're kind of in a situation like Memphis. I think they can, I think because of the injuries, you know, I got to be optimistic as a fan, but I also got to be a little realistic. I think probably playing is what we're looking at now um, because of the injuries, even bringing Rondo in. Um, but it's the sort of thing where maybe, you know, maybe next year, if we're healthy, we can take a step forward like Memphis has this year. And I think we were well on our way to doing that if it wasn't for the, the, the Sexton and Rubio injuries. It just, it also is extremely unfortunate for the team. And obviously it's, an, it's horrible for me as a fan that it happened at like the same position. Like, you know, you have, you have two injuries to, to guys at different positions. You can kind of move and shake the lineup a little bit. But when it's the same, you know, point guard position, 
it's it, it makes it a lot tougher. But I really like what I've seen out of Garland kind of stepping up as that as that leader. And he's young and he's he's leading the team in scoring. He's leading the team in assists. Um, he started every game and he's led this team to to a solid record. So I really like what I see from him. And I would say, again, re- regarding the question about building around Colin Sexton, I think it's I think it's building this team around um, maybe maybe Garland and Allen and having Sexton as kind of the once he's healthy again, kind of a shooting guard or, you know, sometimes playing at the point. And I think, again, it's there's not too much building. I don't think that needs to be done. I think it's a lot about development now, maybe bringing in some veteran role players to just kind of back up everybody. Um, but I think, I think this team is definitely moving in the right direction and man, those injuries suck. So I want to take a point that you made and uh, get a quick answer from you. And based off that answer, it's going to frame how I get to Ryan on this one, because what you said, you said that you feel like they don't need to bring a lot in, but you, and it's about development, which I completely agree with. But you also feel as though from a realistic standpoint, because of this injury to Rubio specifically, that it could kind of pseudo tank your season, not really like to the point of like missing the playoffs. Like you said, it's in a situation where you guys could be in the play in and we, we know how that goes. That's a any that's an anything goes situation. But right now they're sixth in the East. So if you feel like there's that much of a potential plummet, which in the Eastern Conference might not even be considered that bad considering how close everything is right now. But if that is the case where you do see yourself in a situation where your team could potentially miss the playoffs, even though that development is on the table, the ping pong rules are different in the draft now, right? Where you don't have to be the worst team in the NBA to get the top pick or get even a top five pick. So as a fan, is it at least a smidgen enticing to kind of like let them develop within the framework of also trying to work towards a pick? Or do you kind of want to see what a real season looks like from this team? I want to see a real season because I think something that they proved last night and they have for the last couple of games since they lost Rubio is they could still compete. I mean, they only lost by four and goodness, they had plenty of opportunities to win that game last night against the Grizzlies. Uh, you know, I was watching in disappointment from, from here, but um, you know, and one guy I didn't even mention in, in kind of the opening was Evan Mobley, you know, him and him and Jared Allen are a very, very dangerous and fun to watch duo um, seeing them, you know, just how they play together on the court. And, you know, when one's out of the game, the other one is, is kind of fill, filling that role. But um you know, it's, it's interesting to have be in a position like this. I don't know if I've really ever seen it before from a team where you have two young guys that kind of play the same position. And obviously, Allen, Allen is older than Mobley, but he's still relatively young. Um, you have two guys, two young guys at the same position in two different positions on the team. I think that's kind of a unique area where the Cavs are. Where you can kind of have you almost have two point guards. You kind of have two centers at the same time. Um, so. Yeah, I, I don't want to see this team tank to answer your question. I definitely don't want to see that, um, especially because I guess I guess the one area I would look in the draft is small forward. That's the one area where this team doesn't – I mean, you look at the leading scorers. You have Garland point guard, Allen center, Sexton point guard, Mobley center, Kevin Love power forward. You don't have a shooting guard until Chetty Osman down like – he's like the 
10th, like ninth scorer on the team in terms of leading scorers. So um, I guess that would be maybe one area, but the lineups that this team can go with um, at fully healthy are kind of, are kind of fun to, to think about what they could, what sort of lineups they can go with. Um, but yeah, I, I to, to answer your question and wrap it up quickly, I, I definitely don't want to see this team tank. I'd like to see how they can develop, even if it does mean, you know, a disappointing end, like, I don't think, I don't think they at this point miss out on the play-in spot. I don't think they have that far of a drop-off, but you know, even the disappointment of being a play-in and losing that game wouldn't be the end of the world. Obviously it's disappointing after how we started, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised or horribly disappointed by that. And just for the listeners at home, that was Peter's nice way of saying he's tired of seeing heavy Jetty Osman minutes that we should look for a small forward in, in the draft that, that, I, I don't think I was, I wasn't saying less. that. I actually, I like Teddy a whole lot. I like him a lot. I like him as a player. <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, you go that far down and I guess I, I kind of overlooked Okoro too. Cause you know, sometimes it's easy to focus too much on the stats, but he's a great defensive presence. So actually I would say we're actually pretty decent at the small forward position. So maybe just getting a score at that position would be somewhere to look in the draft. But yeah, other than that, I actually, you know, that's why you got you to gotta be a little careful. And I just fell into that trap there of just looking at the stats and I kind of forget about what Okoro is able to do. He's a facilitator, a great defensive player, and he's still – he's got nine points per game. It's nothing to laugh at. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Okoro, the thing that, you know, from a metric standpoint, the weird part about Okoro is, like, he looks like a two, plays like a two, but has to play the three for this team. And I think that's the part that gets kind of tricky with this squad. I actually have no hate for Jetty Osman. I just think that this team needs a wing creator really bad. And I've made the joke pretty, uh, like pretty frequently over the last uh, like couple of months that like a guy like Cam Reddish would be so interesting for this team. When you talk about the fact that like Atlanta, I'm gonna be surprised to figure out like when they if they figure out how to pay this man with the fact that like DeAndre Hunter's also coming up. Trey Young just comes off of dropping a career high, and we know that man's paid. They just paid John Collins. Clint Capella has bread, like. You know, it's going to be funny to see, like, how they go about handling the cap gymnastics for that. And so I just figured that a team like this, and honestly, you know, you said do it through the draft. I think they have the assets, you know, when you talk about draft capital and things like that, to go out and get a guy like Cam. And how many times can you go and make a trade for a wing this young with that kind of developmental scale. There's not too many times where a guy like that even comes available. And awkwardly enough, here goes the team insert wing here. And now we might have ourselves, you know, a legitimate core going with Garland, Sexton, Mobley, Allen, guys like Isaac Okoro, J.D. Osman, and so on and so forth, going along with Cam Reddish, who gets picked up. So it's an interesting squad. But Ryan, my question to you with this team, and we're coming close to wrapping this whole thing up, but my question to you with this team when it comes to uh Cleveland um you're typically team obliterator this is this is the guy that when 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 in doubt if you need somebody to blow your roster up 2k style I go to Ryan for this because he's always right there in time to talk about how a team needs to in the words of Bill Belichick get them done get it done a year early before it's a year too late and so that goes to the question of Colin Sexton again and we talked about this briefly on and off the air but I kind of want to dive into it a little bit deeper now that you've gotten Peter's perspective. What are your thoughts on the Colin Sexton situation, considering what you've seen on the floor, considering what Colin Sexton could or could not be asking for, and the overall trajectory of this team? Because you have to factor in, if you go from Peter's perspective, we're talking about from the fan perspective now, 
This is a team that he believes genuinely is play-in, play-off caliber that just simply needs the guys on roster to up the game a little bit. And it's a young squad, so it makes sense to kind of build within that that aspect. But the question still lies, you know, you have Kevin Love as a tradable contract. You have Colin Sexton, who has been rumored for the Knicks for like an eon, right? Despite the fact that like now it doesn't make any sense with Kemba and Derek and everybody else. But like he's been a guy that's been put in trade rumors before. I think we did mock trades that involved Colin Sexton like months ago. So like, do you feel like with the expectations from fans and from what you've seen so far on the floor that he actually is somebody worth uh, prioritizing for the future of this team? I would say yes and no. I think you can kind of play this both sides. I would say yes because of what he brings to this team. He is a phenomenal scorer. And the improvement that he's shown from year one up to this year, it has to be noted. And, you know, he's been one of the the main offensive creators on this team before he went down with injury. And then you look at the other side of the coin and say, you know, this team might not actually need him as much as they think, especially with the way that Ricky Rubio has been playing. You get uh, Rajon Rondo from the Lakers which I think was a move that, like I mentioned earlier with the Timberwolves game, Patrick Beverly, I think Cleveland was self-aware of what's happening with their team. And they understand now they should no longer focus on this team being a rebuilding team. I understand where Peter's coming from because it's no longer about constructing. It's more about developing. But I think there's one more player that I think fits this team And if they make a move at the deadline, it would be great to see it. I think it could be Cam Reddish. And I think for the points that Jalen made about him being a wing creator, I think that's the one thing that they're lacking right now is a wing creator. They have Isaac Okoro, who's actually been playing some really great basketball, uh, like Peter mentioned, as a facilitator. And and what we knew about him as a defender coming out of the draft last year, they have that capability. But I think it's just about who do you get rid of? in this case, because, uh, you know, Peter knows about the forward death about this team because this team is loaded with forwards. And, you know, that was the one thing that uh, Peter talked about in the summer when we first had him on, um, talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers. The amount of forward depth on the on this team is insane. So I think you would, you should capitalize on some of this forward depth and use it as assets to get a guy like Cam Reddish because I think as much as as much as I understand Jalen your point about getting Karis LeVert as a microwave scorer coming off the bench it makes more sense now that wing creator is like the final piece to this puzzle that the Cav the, the Cavaliers need I think you know if you get it, it doesn't really matter at this point what they do with Colin Sexton's contract because even if they sign him or don't re-sign him, I think this team's in a really good position to succeed given what we've seen recently because we've seen this team compete without some of their best players and especially without in, and especially taking into consideration injuries as well. Colin Sexton going down for the year. Ricky Rubio is going down for the year. Now you have Rajon Rondo. Isaac Okoro is going to be out for a couple of weeks due to uh, coming back from wrist surgery or I think it's elbow surgery actually. But I think now is the time where Cleveland has to start thinking about moves instead of 
rebuilding. I think that's fair. And it's funny, we I mean, we we all bring up wing creation, but like, I mean, with the kind of handles Mobley shown off and the reverse lay the other day, by the way, we're we're gonna only speak on this very briefly, but the reverse lay the other day was ridiculous to the point that 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 brings up an, an entirely different uh like like Evan Mobley uh iteration that I think some people prior to the draft kind of like felt he could like slide into but I felt like you were gonna have to see it on the court to actually believe it the idea of seeing to believe it's moves like that that make me wonder about that kid sometimes because that dude is different for real and he's he's definitely the rookie of the year to me so far this season now I know there's a, plenty of time for guys to catch up but I mean, they're already throwing out that defensively, metric-wise, he's the best rookie since Tim Duncan. And if that's if that sticks, yeah. So, with that being the case, we're coming towards the end. Peter, we're going to pass the mic to you in two ways. The first thing is, obviously, to finish up with any final thoughts that you have on your team. We ended with your team on purpose um, for that for that purpose. But the second thing is also to kind of, Give you the floor in terms of, again, talking about some of the content that you have coming up and anything in the future in general in terms of, you know, life stuff and all that. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it. I appreciate being being on the podcast. You guys do do a great job with this. I love I love listening and then I love jumping on, obviously, to talk to, to talk hoops and especially talk about the Cavs, too, especially because it's actually it's actually fun to talk about them now. They've been a really fun team to watch. Um, you know, just quickly wrapping up for the Cavs. I mean, one guy we didn't even mention really is uh, Laurie Markkinen. He started every game he's played in this season. Um, he started 29. He's averaging 13 points per game. So that's another good another good player that we we kind of didn't even mention. Talking about that forward depth. Um, again, I think I think this team it's all about development at this point. I think they have a whole lot of potential and they've shown glimpses of it so far. If they can get back to being healthy. And maybe maybe make a move, you know, make a smart move. They do have um, some good trade capital, some good depth to be able to trade. Um, I'm just I'm excited to see where this team can go this season. There might be a little disappointment, but um, hopefully they don't pull the Browns and just completely fall off the face of the earth next year when I'm expecting them to be back to to playing well. But um, I probably should expect that as a Cleveland fan. But <laughs> <laughs> at this point. But yeah, I'm I, I this team. I think I might have tweeted it out at some point this season. I mean, they're they're so much fun to watch. Um, you know, just the way they play. They play with defensive intensity. They're one of the best teams in the NBA. I'm not sure about the stats, but as a fan watching, I can see that they're one of the best in the NBA defensively. Um, and even offensively, they're fun to watch. You know, Garland driving in, then lobbing the ball up to to Allen or or uh, or Mobley and. Just the way they play basketball has been so much fun to watch, and it's nice to nice to enjoy watching them play again for the first time since LeBron left the the second time. Um, but then, just regarding what I what I'm doing, um, I have this true north thing that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. I won't go into talking about it too much more. Um, it's just a cool little project, you know. So far, it's just a talk show. It's the PB and J talk show. True North is what we're calling like the the media company as a whole. Um, PB and J show will have an episode out, um, I guess yesterday, if, if this podcast goes out on the sixth um, that we just released talking about um, the college football playoff and, and bowl games and stuff like that. And then we'll have an episode on Friday, um, kind of talking about our, our years growing up and then how we kind of became friends and stuff. Um, and then keep an eye out. Um, you know, I'm, I'm talking to, to a few, I'm looking for a job in, in sports reporting and hopefully I'll have one 
in in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm not going to get too much into you know releasing that um, out for the for the airwaves, but just know I'm I'm in in some talks with places and just trying to make the the best decision for for myself moving forward and um, you know kind of starting back from kind of from the beginning you know for the last couple of years I was able to be sports editor from Flyer News now I'll be back to just kind of being a a reporter probably covering some high school sports so um yeah I'm I'm in a in a really good place life-wise in terms of you know the amount of stuff I'm able to do right now and I I I love it so much I just love that I'm able to do what I love and is to talk and write about sports so um yeah, just again, thanks, thanks, Jalen and Ryan for having me on the episode. It was it was a lot of fun to to talk hoops and obviously talk about the Cavs. And uh, yeah, thanks, thanks again. It's it's been a great time. Yeah, for sure, man. And like like Ryan said at the top of the episode, links to all the stuff will be in the description of the episode when it drops on uh, the the release platforms. I mean, if you haven't checked out some of his stuff on a personal level, like you said beforehand, he does stuff for the paper for his school. Um, a lot of different stories um, for a lot of different sports if you're into that kind of stuff. So definitely worth giving a look into. Of course, the links will be down below for the YouTube channels and stuff, which I kind of need to dive into a little bit because I've seen posts here and there, but haven't gotten uh, the chance to really look at that too. So we can kind of just all experience that together. But definitely always a solid time having Peter on. Got to try to, we're going to work on making this a little bit more consistent with some of our past guests, Ryan. We got to start putting people in the Rolodex a little bit. Um, but nonetheless, uh, great time on the pod, Ryan, get us about here, bro. We want to thank our guest, Peter Burnett for joining us here today on the pod and transitioning to our question of the day for our fans. Do you believe that Cleveland with all the injuries that they've sustained can be a play in or playoff team? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace.